Hey guys, it is the last week of January and I have no idea where my month went. Didn't it just fly by? Anyway, we have one of my favorite people on the podcast today. Uh, I've been working with Marinelle for five years now and we just vibe and I think you're going to see that when we talk. Let's talk about our updates. First, I'm still plugging Public Policy Forum. I sent out an email to all of our Rhode Island AEYC members encouraging you to register. But if for some reason you are not on the email list, um, get in touch with me. You know where to find me, at Allison Panzarella on Instagram, at PanzarellaRI on Twitter, we will get you signed up for a NACI membership and get you engaged for and enrolled for Public Policy Forum, which will be at the end of February into uh, March. So February 28th and March 1st. Second, I'm prioritizing self-care this week by taking a social media break. Oh my gosh, I'm a little old for TikTok, but... <laughs> I I'm, I found out that I'm really not, but I'm I thought I thought I was a little old for TikTok, and I downloaded it this week, and um wow I need to put my phone down. It is so interesting. The kids are all right. That's what I have to say about that anyway. Um, but yeah, taking social media breaks is something that I do every so often. You know when you're on your phone too much, right? Your neck starts to hurt. Your wrist is flipped the wrong way for like an hour at a time. And you're like, whoa, wait, like, am I even a human anymore? So listen to your body and put your phone down and look outside, even though the ground is covered in snow where I am and it's literally 11 degrees. But I don't know. Try it out. See if it works for you. I'm really just trying different things all the time and telling you how it goes. So yeah, um, put your phone down. Look at the blue sky. Hopefully it's blue where you are. Anyway, let's get into this interview with one of my favorite people, Marinelle. Marinelle, we're here. We're recording. It's happening. This person, y'all, this person is the hardest person (laughs) to nail down in the entire world. Stop it. No, this is Marinelle. This is Marinelle Russo. Uh, I'm going to jump right into your bio so we can get into our really, really great um, content because you run a project part of that's part of Rhode Island AEYC that I love. So we're going to tell people all about it. So this is Marinelle Russo. She has been a vital part of the Rhode Island AEYC team for the last eight years, serving as both a program assessment specialist and more recently as a Bright Stars navigator. She is dedicated and loyal to Rhode Island AEYC, but most importantly, passionate about improving quality for the providers, families, and children of the state. As the manager of early childhood initiatives, Marinelle is responsible for managing and coordinating all aspects of child care program quality improvement initiatives, including teach early childhood Rhode Island, budgeting and competency assessment processes, program and scholar outreach and recruitment, program referral to state supports, including technical assistance and professional development, support for programs increasing their star rating, and annual reports, quality improvement plan development, and support. 
Marinelle holds a bachelor's degree in business administration with a concentration in marketing from Baruch College in New York and a master's degree in elementary education from Leslie University in Boston. A mother of three young girls, Marinelle knows the importance of providing children with learning environments that promote emotional, physical, and intellectual development. Hi, Marinelle. Wow, that was... Um, That's your yeah. life. <laughs> That's your life. <laughs> that's you. Um, when you put it that way, that seems like, yeah, lots, lots of stuff. Yes. And uh, hold up quick shout out to uh, last week's guest. Now Lucy Recio. Um, also Dominican. Also, yes. My peep. She's... Also went to Baruch college and also. No way. Yes. So I, I'm Stop learning it. this as I'm reading your bio. So you guys better you're both alumni. I had no idea. Yeah. And we actually have a family checkup provider in common. I used to be the nav, um, her, I believe her aunt um, is a family checkup provider in Providence. And I used to be her um, bright stars navigator. So it's a small um, world. Very, very small world. Small I can't believe early childhood system. I know. So I, I literally, and this is, um, well, behind the scenes, I had to Google how to pronounce Baruch. So I'm not, <laughs> I had to watch one of those five second videos where like a computer just says the word because um. <laughs> I did not know. So, oh my God. Yeah. Oh God. So yeah. Okay. Let's get started with the, the topic of this episode, which is teach. So you have now been the manager of the teach contract for how many years have we had it here? I don't even know. <sighs> But I was here, so it's years, under five. I want to say three years. Three years. Maybe okay. I'm wrong. Four years. It's gone so fast. I know. Honestly, it's gone so fast that um, I think it's three years. Okay. So I might be wrong. it's a scholarship model, but it's also has a compensation angle. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, the scholarship you offer and uh, why it's just so great for early childhood educators and childcare programs? Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I have to, I mean, we have to address the elephant in the room. This is really weird. (laughs) This is so weird for me because we have these conversations all the time. And now we're talking to, you know, just at a different, um, a different level, I guess. Yeah. You know what? And, but like, these are the easiest episodes for me because I talk to you like all the time about everything. So these are like, are, are these are like, we're just riffing. It's coming out so natural. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, so teach is a nationally recognized evidence-based scholarship and workforce development initiative. It is funded by the, by the Rhode Island Department of Human Services and provide opportunities um, for those in our early childhood workforce to earn college credits, get a degree, and also obtain credentials if that's their, if that's the pathway they choose. We refer to TEACH as a partnership because it involves the sharing of expenses by the teacher, by the family childcare provider, if, if they're the scholarship recipient the sponsoring child care facility or employer, and by TEACH, of course. Uh, but TEACH does cover most or the majority of the costs associated with the recipient's scholarship. The teacher benefits because she has an opportunity to earn a college degree and in many instances obtain more than one college degree. So you have someone who's going from 
you know, CCRI getting their associate's degree. And then they decide they want, you know, they have that, that school bug and they want to continue on to obtain school bug. is not the word, but you know what I mean? And then move on to a bachelor's degree. So they get to obtain, you know, like I said, in more, in more than one college degree, pretty much for free. Yeah. And um, she remains committed to the childcare facility during this time and a year after the scholarship ends. And then the employer benefits because they're able to retain that teacher during that time. So yeah. we, we help the educator advance their career and we're also helping their employers retain their staff. And how many different degree options do you guys support? So we support uh, the early childhood um, associate degree at CCRI and also uh, Rhode, Island Co- Rhode Island College, the bachelor's degree at uh, Rhode Island College. And we're working very closely with URI at this, at this time to see what, you know, how we can partner to support their, their students as well. Oh, good. Yes. That's really exciting. Yeah. And we also, if you're listening to me, you or I, my alma mater. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Work with my girl. (laughs) Absolutely. They have a really good uh, program there as well. uh, And I know that you're only saying that because you know a graduate of that program. Of course. I have met, I know many. (laughs) Right? You. Uh, and there's a few others in our team who also graduated from that program. Yeah. Speaking of our team, you've been part of it for, you said, eight years. So you hinted that you, you've you had more than one role at this agency. That's like literally every department that we have. So you've been an assessor. So you've done ERS observations and programs. You've been a navigator. Uh, so you've supported programs throughout the QRIS process. And you stepped into the role of managing the TEACH contract as soon as we got it three years ago. So can you talk a little bit about what that transition was like? Oh gosh. Yeah, I mean, that was really interesting. It was, re- it was a, a very, very, very busy. It was a very exciting time. Yeah. to take this project and essentially in certain ways build it from the ground up within our states. Teach had been running for many years prior to transitioning to Rhode Island AYC, but with the transition we had an opportunity to make changes to the structure of the program. We you know had an opportunity to create policies and procedures, learn and execute a brand new database that is essentially the motherboard of our day-to-day operations. Mm -hmm. And then we, of course, had a group of scholarship recipients who transitioned with a program to Rhode Island AYC that we had to engage from day one. So, you know, it was really exciting. And then, of course, you know, transitioning to a supervisor role Mm -hmm. was also very interesting you know, part of, as you alluded, as you mentioned before, part of this role was to oversee the agency's early childhood initiatives, you know, TEACH being one of those initiatives and overseeing our navigator team's work. Mm -hmm. uh, And that was all embedded in that. But I feel that our team was so strong. We worked and we worked together so well that the transition didn't feel forced. It was very smooth. I mean, it's, at least that's how I felt for sure. It was, it was great. I, I have to, you know, now having some time to think it through, like to think about those last, these last three years, it, it was a, such a great thing for, 
obviously for me professionally, but for the agency too, to, um, to be able to contract with DHS on this project was, was definitely a great thing. Yeah, a QRIS and a scholarship program really talk to each other a lot, I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Each are informing the other. I talked about this with Lisa when she was on earlier this month about how often our contracts all talk to each other. And I think we're building something really cool and I'm really happy with it. One thing that I've noticed though, since you've taken it on, we mentioned it already that you're Dominican. So you're obviously also bilingual. I've seen more engagement with family childcare providers and teach. And I can't help but think that you spearheaded that. So why, why is expanding the program to make sure it's more available to early childhood providers that are either monolingual Spanish speaking or bilingual? Like, so can you talk a little bit about how you've expanded the supports to incorporate more diverse students into the program? Yeah. So you know, I, I think it's important to, we, we own, I mean, we're all in this field. So we know that the early childhood teaching workforce is made up of mostly women, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Earning very low wages, uh, most often with, you know, families and children of their own. And we know that education empowers, right? We know mm-hmm. education is empowering and we know that education gives us a voice and helps us see what's possible. I had been working with family checkup providers for quite a long time before um, taking on this project. And I knew that there was a need. I mean, you know, it was part of all of these conversations for so long that um, when we were finally able to support them in this way, it just, it, it just, it was just natural. Right. And, and I, and I, I hope that the reason why we're seeing more engagement is clearly because we have great partnerships. We mm-hmm. have great, you know, we've been able to forge really strong partnerships with um, the Community College of Rhode Island, Rhode Island College, the Department of Human Services and other agencies, but we also speak their language, right? Wow. And we understand that there is a significant need for the Spanish speaking workforce to, I mean, essentially take classes in the language that they understand so that they are able to be successful and they're able to move on to, I mean, the the ultimate goal is for them to be able to take classes in English, right? Yeah. Um, And, but they need a transition. They need that foundational level support in the very beginning to help them get there. And so I believe, I hope that we are building scholarship um, opportunities and we're doing lots of great work with our higher education institutions to be able to support that work for sure. Yeah, shout out to you for being such a good advocate for those students. I feel like that is like 90% of your day job, honestly. But I know that there must be some type of personal alignment with a lot of these scholars because you experienced kind of a, a sharp left turn in your career as well. So can you talk about how your personal story impacts your philosophy and the way that you run your the scholarship program? So I, so I guess you could say that I am, well, as you know, as you mentioned, you know, I am bilingual. I am an immigrant. I um, I am an immigrant who achieved, who believes she achieved the American dream. Amen. And um, I achieved that uh, my American dream, my American dream, 
because, you know, of lots of hard work, this doesn't happen overnight, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of late nights working or studying. And also because, because I had access to resources Mm -hmm. like Pell, um, that made it possible for me to earn, um, earn a degree in the first place. So my family and I moved um, to, I feel so weird talking to you about this because you already know this, but anyway, okay, move on, Mariano. Uh, <laughs> You're not and talking I, to me. You're talking to <laughs> all my listeners, all, I don't even want to talk right. about that many. Um, so we moved here when I was 16, so many moons ago. Um, I spoke English, but I, I wouldn't say it was fluent. Um, I finished high school, went to a community college, then transferred New York. You're in New York City. Yeah. New York City. Yeah. And then, you know, as you mentioned earlier, um, I earned my BA and then I worked all the way through, you know, I worked during the day, went to school at nighttime. Uh, I worked in publishing for many years. Then I moved to Rhode Island, got married, you know, had a family, worked, uh, worked for, um, a top fortune 10 company. Uh, for many years. Uh, but I, and I had been feeling very unfulfilled career wise. And I had been contemplating switching careers and going into teaching. My oldest two girls were two and four. We had just bought a house and, you know, we went from a two income house to a one income home. So obviously, clearly, I was taking a big, big risk, a huge risk. But I always say never underestimate a woman's intuition. Amen. And my <laughs> intuition was like screaming to do it. Screaming, screaming. Um, so I applied to Leslie. I wrote this very hopefully was compelling essay. And, you know, I got accepted. I was driving to Boston twice a week. Um uh, and student teaching in a bilingual first grade um, classroom. And, um, and then I came across this, this position at Bright Stars as a program assessor. And I remember driving home after my probably third day on the job and thinking, gosh, I have no idea what I'm doing, but I love my job. And I still, like, I f- still feel that way today to an even greater degree never turned back. It's been the best decision um, of my life. So my career pathway was not the same as the scholarship recipients I support every day, but I definitely understand the struggle, right? That they, they are go through, right? The hard work, the determination to do better for, um, for themselves and their families. Um, You know, without the financial aid and Pell Grants, and get, getting an education would have been very, very challenging for, um, for me and my siblings to achieve. But those resources certainly helped us, um, really propelled us, right, to yeah. uh, be where we are today and be successful. And so um, I, I know how crucial these financial opportunities are to our workforce. And so I'm just extremely grateful that I get to be part of that to some degree, right, be part of that support. Yeah. I mean, college, man, it's just so expensive. Like it's, it's, and it, without, you know, resources like this, you look at, you know, middle income students to begin with. I mean, we have like a student debt crisis. So I'm so thrilled that 
you know, this program exists and, you know, hopefully some of our listeners are in the classroom and, and hearing Marinelle's story and thinking about how you can, you know, improve your own professional development by going to school. Um, we know where to find her. Just to throw some stats out there. I love stats. You love stats. I, I know I'm you the love only stats. One, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but just these are fresh off the what's what's the uh, what's the exp- expression? You know, hot off the press. A hot, hot off the press. It, part of my job description is um, actually <laughs> reminding Marinelle of like little like quips and what are they? Yes, are they even called. Um, that wasn't part of my English uh, language education. <laughs> uh, what are those things called? Uh, I don't. Even I, know. I can't think of the word right now. Oh my goodness, it'll come to me. I'm going to Google it. It's okay. Quick little cut in here. It's called an idiom. I would have never thought of this, like off the top of my head. An idiom is a group of words established by usage as having a meaning not deductible from those of the individual words. Like some examples are, it's raining cats and dogs, or I see the light. I would like to take this time to formally apologize to non-native English speakers that hear (laughs) random phrases like that. God, we're funny people, aren't we? Jeez. Anyway, let's get back to this interview with Marinelle. But yes. (laughs) But um, so 53% of our recipients have never been to college prior to being accepted into TEACH. Wow. 53%. Okay. 49% our first generation college students. Wow. That, that yeah. is a crazy Let's that sink in. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Um, 28% are single parents. Wow. And 51% are um, people of color. Wow. So, you know, I think that hopefully what we, uh, you know, we're definitely like I said before, with me, we're propelling our, our workforce, right? Um, those first generation, um, students, we're definitely propelling them to, you know, dream bigger, bigger and better for sure. Yeah. And this is something I've, I've talked about on here before, but I feel like, especially, you know, the science about, or like all the research about, um, like degree requirements is always talking about how, and like philosophically, yes, like early childhood education is a profession. You need a specific set of skills to be able to do the job. Well, like that's all fine and good. And you even look like internally at our bright stars standards, but, sometimes it just, I totally empathize with programs that think that we put the cart before the horse with, uh, standards, uh, because at at the licensing level, like this really isn't required. And it really is kind of new research coming out that suggests like, no, this is, this requires a certain skill set. This needs to be a profession. So I really hope that resources like yours are, you know, even more broadly funded, even because I want to give scholarships to like literally everybody, because there is an acknowledge, there is an acknowledgement there for me and programs and programs like yours are ones that, um, are going to help us achieve our goal of a professionalized early childhood field. Uh, so it's still January. So what is in store for teach in 2021? So much, so much. I know I literally, I, 
we were at a point where we were talking like all the time. If we weren't, you know, in a meeting together, we were emailing back and forth or chatting or texting. Um, you're too busy for me now, Marino. Oh, stop it. <laughs> you, stop it. Too many great things are happening at teach. So <laughs> tell us what they are. <laughs> so I think clearly we know that, um, the pandemic really highlighted the inequities facing our field, right? And our workforce, starting with um, disparities in teacher earnings. Yep. Um, You know, we have teachers making less than $12 an hour. That's, that's insane. Yeah. I I mean, I live this, right? And I still look at those numbers and I think, how in the world is that even possible? It's so insulting. Yeah. And we have teachers um, tapping into you know, food assist- the food assistance prog- program mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they just cannot ma- make um, ends meet, right? Yeah. And and then we and then on the other hand, you know, we have childcare providers who are struggling just to keep their doors open. Um, so they they want to support their staff. They want their staff to succeed. I'm sure they want to pay their their staff um, better, but it's a struggle. I mean, yeah. it is a struggle. So um, I, I, I think that we're fortunate to have state level officials and funders who understand the need. Truly, I'm not like just saying that to just, you know, um, but, but that's not enough, right? Mm-hmm. We, need, we need to get some significant federal funding to address these issues. And um and not just like patch, right? Like patchwork. Yeah. We need permanent change, right? We need permanent change. And so I just look forward to for Teach to be part of that conversation because I think that um, we have these stories and we have this very strong data that uh, can help to support that, um, that dialogue, you know? And then uh, what's the other thing? Um, strengthening our partnerships with, um, with existing childcare programs and establishing new partnerships. Clearly the scholarship wouldn't work without the support from um, childcare programs in the state. We've been very fortunate to work with um, childcare programs who see the value in teach, um, who see the value in investing in, in their staff. Uh, from a program and classroom quality perspective, they see their teachers bringing all this knowledge and um, developmental appropriate practices into their classrooms. Um, they're providing, they're, impro- they're, they're improving their teacher credentials, which ultimately helps improve, maintain their program's Bright Stars rating, mm-hmm. right? So you see that link there. And then from a business perspective, because clearly we have to look at it at this from a business perspective, um, also the job commitment from those teachers is far greater than the national average. So I think did you I think you mentioned that um, the turnover rate mm-hmm. at the national level is between thirty and forty percent. Think about that. Yeah. And for our scholarship recipients. For our associate degree recipients last year, our retention rate was 97%. That's awesome. Okay. And for our bachelor degree um, students, we did not, not one left their program. Wow. Those, it's the 
individuals were retained, right? So, you know, it's, it's, it's less time for the program. The program has to spend interviewing and hiring and training for that position. So it definitely is a plus from, from a business perspective for them. And then let's not forget about the kids. You know, the fact that um, when a teacher leaves, that's a huge adjustments for uh, adjustment for those teach for those uh, children. Mm-hmm. So that teacher commitment also um, takes that uncertainty um, out of the equation. Um, you asked me a very big question, so you're gonna, you probably are going to have to cut a lot of this. <laughs> but um, I think for me, the third piece is advocacy. And yes. clearly, we'll need your help. All the help we can get from oh gosh, you. On it, please. Yes. Um, I'm so hungry. <laughs> support, you know, our scholarship recipients um, to help them strengthen um, for, for those who already have that little bug in there, you know, strengthen their advocacy skills and then help those other um, scholarship recipients build their you know, their advocacy skills. And we have an upcoming event that would be a perfect case um, to learn about how to do that, but also get your feet wet and talk directly to our congressional delegation. It's NACI's Public Policy Forum. Uh, Marinelle has sent a scholar before. I hope you do again, because they're always so fun. Yes, of course. Um, it's actually one of your scholars that's coming on to talk about her experience. Um, she's obviously a classroom teacher, so she's, she's also kind of hard to nail down. But um, we're going to have a former public policy forum team member on who's also a teach scholar. So, you know, it all weaves together. And that's what I'm going for here <laughs> at the Thrive and Learn podcast. So, yes, advocacy. That is great. The, the last, um, we're working on this, uh, small project, a small project. Um, it's a you very, just call this a small project. It literally <laughs> tore you away from me, but go ahead. Talk about your small project. <laughs> um, so we've been entrusted by DHS to manage, um, what we're calling the infant toddler registered apprenticeship pilot. And the concept is not new uh, in other industries, but it's it's fairly new in our state and in our field. Um, it uh, combines classroom education with on-site learning to create an um, what they call an earn while you learn path to career success. Oh, so we're working. Yeah, we're working with uh, very closely with Building Futures. Um, it's an um, organization that sort of holds, I guess, the um, registered apprenticeship, um, uh, I don't know, model or uh, it, within the state, uh, the, unit, the URI, of course, um, the Community College of Rhode Island, um, and uh, the Center for Early Learning Professionals, in addition to DHS to bring this, this little pilot to life. Oof, but that's so many <laughs> key players. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's all... It, it's just um, putting a lot of pieces together. And obviously the really cool thing about this is that we're just building it from scratch, right? Like we're yeah. just, um, so there are clearly a lot of little pieces that we have to put together, um, which also makes it fun because I think um, there's, there are great minds working together to, um, to make sure that this uh, becomes successful. It's an 18 month program um, and it's rooted in a certain uh, set of uh, competencies. 
And so it allows a teacher assistant who would be considered the apprentice to work towards earning um, her CDA credential. And then she gets, she, I'm so sorry, she or he, but I know our, our pilot is, it, it's there, all women. I so. think, <laughs> yeah, just clear that up. <laughs> I think so the he. stat for Rhode Island is 98% female. So yes. I'm not going to yes. judge you have, for, your, for your pronoun. have one scholarship yes. recipient who's a male and I, we adore him. He's, he's <laughs> you only have one at this point. Um, and so she gets to apply that knowledge and those learned um, skills in, um, into her classroom. And those skills are evaluated at certain checkpoints. And at each checkpoint, provided that um, the program's competencies are met, the apprentice um, will receive a wage increase. Awesome. So she can go from an hourly wage of $12 an hour to $15 an hour in 18 months, which is huge, yes. right? 18 months. Um, and the other really cool thing about that pilot, is, the, the pilot is that the, the, the TA or apprentice is working really closely with the lead teacher of her classroom who is considered her mentor. Cool. And her mentor will receive coaching and mentoring, um, you know, the TA and PD from URI. So she's really developing those leaders, leadership skills. And she's also receiving a financial incentive for, you know, for mentoring um, her work. So, you know, it's, We've got stuff going on for 2021. If anyone that's listening is interested in anything, how do they find you? Well, they can go into the, uh, they can go to the teach website. So that's teach-ri.org. They can also, we also have a Facebook page and I am so sorry. I cannot remember our Facebook page. I believe it's, I believe it's teach-ri and, uh, and mrusso at riyc.org. Perfect. Yes, because are you still actively recruiting scholars for all, like, what is the deal? Is this like open enrollment or can I sign up? For the pilot or for the scholarship? The scholarship, the pilot, whatever. (laughs) Well, so the pilot right now, it's, we're concentrating on eight, uh, nine teaching teams. Cool. uh, And, you know, we'll see how that pilot goes. We're, you know, it's very encouraging. And, you know, I I know we have lots of support to continue on with the work. Um, uh, For the scholarship, for uh, the TEACH scholarship, yeah, we are, we have open open application, an open application process. So um, those who are interested, who are listening can apply at any point. Um, And, uh, we review those applications and and get back to uh, those candidates within 30 days. So it's, you know, we're churning those applications left and right. Awesome. It's a, it's so great. I hope any some people listening either reach out to Maridel themselves or refer a friend. Um, we'd love to grow our program. So with that, I want to. So you were the last January 2021 episode. So I'm going to ask you my like new year's questions that I've been asking all month. So, and mind you, we've been riding this roller coaster ride together. So I might know the answer, but if you could tell us again, <laughs> what did 2020 teach you? But so are you asking me from a professional or personal level? Actually, it's all intertwined, I think. Yeah, because right. Because like I'm, I'm at home working at home. All yeah. my things are intertwined now. So it might as well be both. <laughs> Um, what am I leaving behind? Wait, wait, what did, what did 2020 teach you? 
um, that there is no work-life balance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Your four-year-old man, I, I gosh, we're friends. We're friends. It doesn't have, it doesn't exist. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I, no, I guess in all seriousness, um, I think that um, it's, it's taught me a lot. I think, you know, we've had to become very flexible and patient, right? Yeah. Um, and taking one moment at a time. We were talking right before you started um, uh, recording. I, you know, I said my, my typical mantra is uh, uh, this too shall pass. Mm -hmm. And I have to remind myself of that 20,000 times a day because it's not easy working from home, um, you know, having two children distance learn from home, a four-year-old who is, you know, wants you all that all day and on top of that you know you're crazy enough to get a puppy (laughs) it's just you know I I learned that I am masochistic maybe a little oh my gosh Um, well I I had to if I could have talked my partner into getting a pandemic puppy I would be in this boat as you um but quick shout out to Camila age four Yes. Yes. She likes to come on zoom to just tell me what's going on. If we're in a meeting and just, just update me about her day. (laughs) No filter. And other discussions about things that we're not going to talk about right now. Oh yeah. Yeah. She's too much. Yep. It's funny. What a character you live with. Um, (laughs) what are you leaving a bunch of characters? Oh yeah. What are you leaving behind in 2020? Um, I, honestly, I cannot think of anything right now. I, I think that I am at this very moment, mm-hmm. I, I am feeling um, very optimistic about 2021. I think that there were lots of learnings, uh, lots of things that we learned, that I learned um, about, again, taking one moment at a time and so I can't leave anything behind. Well, I, I should say this is we're not going, we're not going to talk about politics. So I'll leave politics. I guess that's my answer. Okay. Politics. I leave t- politics behind. Back, you know, tucked in 2020. That's it. <laughs> so then what do you hope for in 2021? I not from a personal uh, perspective, but seriously like work. Um, I'm hopeful very hopeful that our workforce is finally seen as essential professionals Mm -hmm. and that our workforce, our own workforce see themselves, right? Yeah. They see themselves as a vital part of our our society and our economy. Um, So I, I think that is, I think, you know, this pandemic has just, again, just shown the really ugly truth about, um, you know, the deficiencies in our, in our work, you know, with, with, with our field, within our field. And so I'm hopeful that change will happen. And also, I hope that you know, we've seen a shift from within Rhode Island, we've, we've seen a shift of um, higher 
education institutions going from in-person learning mm -hmm. to full virtual learning, which has was a change, has been a significant change. And up until the pandemic, um, it was a struggle to have these conversations with our higher ed um, folks to make sure that um, classes were accessible to our workforce during times that um, they could take classes, right? We have a workforce that we have teachers who have to work. They don't have a choice. They have to earn a living. And they also want to earn an education. And sometimes that's difficult for them because many of these courses are offered during the day or are offered um, in person. So uh, we've seen flexibility and I hope that that flexibility, that flexibility continues on and, um, and that we get to have, you know, lots of important conversations um, um, with other agencies, with higher ed, um, as to how we, we're going to address the need for our workforce to have access to, um, you know, classes. Classes, yeah, the internet, all that. So yeah, that's great. That's, that's all I have to say about that, Marinelle, if you have anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not hopeful for, it's not a lot, you know, I think it's in it, I think it's realistic. Yeah, I um, think I, a nice, like, <laughs> cautious optimism is probably where I'm at, too. I feel like there have been too many blows <laughs> the past year. Yeah. yeah. One day at a time, one hour at a time is honestly how I feel. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, well, this too thanks, shall pass. Thanks for um, finding this hour. I appreciate it because- Oh, I stop it. Oh, no, stop. I know that you are like running. It's it's it's, it's not a one woman job, but you, that you're, you're doing like three people's work in, in one human body. So that is um, a lot. And thank you for making the time to come talk to me. And um, I hope that- we reach some new scholars for you. That would be a fun. I hope outcome. so. I hope so. I hope so. Because like you. literally Marinelle will also be like your counselor, your therapist. You could talk to her about anything. It's so. Yes. Well, we also have Elizabeth. So I'm very lucky to have Elizabeth. Get a plug for Elizabeth. Also. Elizabeth Polanco. My former Go intern. Her. My former intern. Yeah. Like <laughs> that's right. Coach, but that's fine. I, 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 yes, she is awesome. Um, and also a, a working student um, and kind of mom, mom of three as well. I mean, and we are clearly, are, you know, we, we get it. Yes. We feel the struggle every day. Yep, it's true. Well, thank you both for all the work that you do. Thank we you. will keep on keeping on. Yes, ma'am. All right. Thanks so much for listening as always. Um, this is the last episode of January, which is my first full month of podcasting. Um, if you've been following along, I so, so appreciate you. Do not forget to tell your friends about this lovely podcast, All Things Early Childhood Education. Um, still appreciating you every day. See you in February.